0: Welcome to Your Hell Yes Life, the podcast that celebrates women who are following their yes and living life on their own terms. I'm your host, Zaya B. Best-selling author, artist, explorer, and cheerleader for women tossing should to the curb. With each episode, I'll bring you inspiring stories and practical tips from brave, bold women. So tune in, get ready, and let's trailblaze your Hell Yes Life. Welcome to Your Hell Yes Life, the podcast that features and celebrates women who are living their unique life on their terms. I'm Zaya B, your host, and I'm here to help you find your own way to your hell yes life. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce you to Julie Steelman, a woman who is living an epic life of adventure and purpose. She's a wildlife activist and photographer woo-hoo, who captures the beauty and power of nature and animals in her award winning photos. She's explored wild places and walked with apex predators following her childhood dreams. She's a former corporate executive who retired at 47 with financial freedom and now has a business catalyzing women to create thriving businesses so they can create purposeful and profitable lives on their terms. Clearly, Julie and I have a common vision for women to live their own hell yes lives. So welcome Julie Steelman to the podcast. Hello Zio, kind of I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah <laughs> So I have been on several safaris and other situations around animals that have some risk, but your adventures are like next level. And recently I saw photos of you with great white sharks, tigers, cheetahs, and their mamas too. So they've got their babies. They are not messing around and you don't look like you're very far. That would be exciting and yet likely terrifying for most of us. Can you tell me about your experience with these predators?
1: Yeah, so I am kind of, you might call me bizarre, weird, or careless that way. But there is nothing that speaks to me more than being in the presence of these wild beings, especially the big cats, and being underwater. It's been a thing my whole life. It started when I was five watching Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. And thinking this thing dropped in, this epiphany of no matter what you do, you have to go to Africa before you die. And I didn't know it was going to set me on this whole trajectory. That would be this incredible calling where, you know, I worked my way through corporate America and earned my way because I needed to be a wildlife photographer and activist. And they are my heart. I am not afraid of them. I don't know if that's careless. It doesn't matter to me. If an animal takes me out, tell a good story, but don't kill it you know, because I'm very aware that I'm in their habitat and I've made it my mission to really photograph, especially the most critically endangered and impacted animals on the planet. And it's, it's everything to me.
0: Yeah. I just can't even imagine. The fear part aside, which sounds almost like you don't have fear. We can talk about that. Just the magic of getting to experience them, especially in that way, where you are close and it's for an extended period. I mean, the safaris have been magical, mostly when there's nobody else around. Yeah. But to track it and really get to know it and its personality and see its actual life just must be so unbelievably profound. Can you share one or two maybe of your top most memorable, exciting experiences? Yes.
1: Yeah, so one of them, it took place in South Africa. There was a mama cheetah named Chile and a fascinating animal She gave birth to five cubs, but then she adopted three of her daughter's cubs. And so she ended up raising eight cubs, eight cubs, eight cheetah cubs to full adulthood. So the statistic on wild cheetahs is less than 5% of the cubs survive. So to see this, she was on a game farm. She was on a preserve that is highly dedicated to restoring and revitalizing cheetah DNA around the African continent, which is, Highly needed. They've been very close to extinction. And most people don't know that, but it's true. And to be able to walk with them, I spent a total of 90 days with them and walked hundreds of kilometers following them and being with them, just me and two other people, and watching her hunt every day, watching her feed these animals that this animal, you know, they use the word acclimated. And I'm like, the word is tolerant. She was tolerant. And she always kept her space and the cubs would let you know. And there are a couple of times that the cub chased a warthog into a hole. And then what they do is all eight of them would sleep around the warthog hole and just take a nap waiting for the warthog to come out. And one of the cubs came over and I'm sitting in the bush, came over and she laid down at my feet. It was like after like 30 days, she'd made me part of the clan, you know, and they knew we weren't gonna do anything to them, and they just gave us this backstage pass to this miraculous thing. It's been documented multiple times on Nat Geo and BBC, the story of these animals and how this group particularly formed pride until the fastest land mammal on earth form a pride and work in this cooperative situation. And single-handedly, this cheetah mom kept being resourced and she would feed the cubs before she would feed herself. And just, like, the magnificence of her was incredible. She transmitted so much to me. Sadly, she died in September, so Mm. she's greatly missed. But this is a super unique story of a cheetah. And to be, you know, where I can smell their breath, I can feel their heat, where they're eating five feet away from me. And they're coming down and laying next to me, making me part of the scene. And being able to watch their life unfold was incredible.
0: Yeah, I can't even imagine that. So, if she died were the babies or the cubs big enough that they'll actually survive at this point? Yes, yeah, so they already all left the
1: nest the December before, and so she gave birth to a couple litters since, but they didn't survive. There's this theory that these eight cubs might have taxed her, but she was also at the end of aging out of her breeding years. So, There's a lot I don't know about how she died and there's questions, but at the end of those cubs were already successfully out of the nest and on their own long before she
0: died. Wow. Yeah. What a gift. Some of it is so... Yeah. I mean, to think that she also needed to feed eight cubs and yet didn't see you as a source of food is just miraculous. It sounds like she was transmitting to you, but I would imagine you were transmitting to her as well, that there was love and curiosity and fascination and safety, right? There has to be some kind of an energetic exchange going on there for her to not just say, oh, easy target. I'm taking her.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things is depending on the cat species, right? So a cheetah, I'm a lot less afraid of. They're not really that interested in us and the things that trigger them are movement. And so if you're not running away, if you're running away, that triggers them, right? They go into full adrenaline. And so it's like it's not that it couldn't happen, but it's more likely to not happen. Now, if you met a m- bale lion in the bush somewhere, you might not come back out. <laughs> and a leopard would be the one I would be the most afraid of because you wouldn't see them coming, mm. and they're super stealth and they're solitary. And you know, it's not that we shouldn't be a- afraid of big cats, but you're absolutely right. I've seen them respond to energetic exchanges, and. I think it's all about you have to respect you are in their habitat. It is a conscious choice to go do what I did. I don't have a romantic notions that they're madly in love with me. I'm a tree and they're tolerating me and that's it. And for me, there's a place I go to oneness when I'm automatically around animals. And it's I call it a shared encounter. And I have no idea what they're experiencing, but I really cautioned myself to not anthropomorphize, which is projects human emotions or, oh, it came over and laid by my feet. That means I'm this incredible being and it experienced my divinity. It's like, no, it's a wild animal with less than five emotions. That's not what's happening. It just feels comfortable and it laid down for a nap, you know, and I think we have to. That takes me to a place of reverence, of incredible reverence for the divine intelligence that nature is.
0: I really appreciate you saying that because I think so often humans see themselves as above everything. I mean, that's clear right in the way that we treat animals and earth and especially even going on safaris or I just read of, you know, a bear did something that a bear should do in a bear's territory and yet a human got injured and the bear was killed. So I appreciate your perspective on it was their land first. Humans weren't necessarily wandering in the space that they were. And that you're respecting that. So you've mentioned a couple of times what you've learned from them and nature in general. And then maybe this mom. I'm curious if you could share some of the lessons that you've gotten. I actually talk to trees. I talk to birds. I get lessons all the time. I will lay my hands on trees and be like, I'm having this problem. What do you think I should do about it? Yeah. So, you know, I totally get maybe that looks a little crazy, but I also get some wisdom. So I'm curious what you've learned in your vast experiences out there. Oh, my gosh, there's such a plethora
1: of stories that are and that's one of the most exciting parts out of it of is this. I call it wild instinct, which is a kind of whole body listening and being able to see out the back of your head and the sides of your head with this full instinctual awareness. And I think one of the most impactful stories was being in Rwanda. We went gorilla trekking with the mountain gorillas and there's so much pressure on them. They have mountaintops and there's a rock wall at the bottom and there's no land left in Rwanda and there's a population bloom, but there's no more place for anybody else to live. And they're doing the best they can with that. It's an extraordinary country. And so we went guerrilla trekking. It's quite the adventure to get anywhere near them. You know, it's like a five hour drive and then you walk two miles across a field and then you walk into the park where they are and then you do a six mile hike up a 19% grade. So it's not for sissies. But we got to these gorilla troop and I immediately felt something in the air. And I'm like, something's really heavy. Something's off. And the silverback kept putting his back to us and he would make these low grumbles and he called the rest of the troop into the bush. They were out eating before we got there. And I was like, something's off. And one of the guides said, let's go sit over here behind a bush and let him have some space. So we left for about 25 minutes and we came back. And they had calmed down and they were back doing their thing and pulling the bamboo shoots and eating. And I just happened to walk around. I was just felt this instinct to like go over to the left side and all the other photographers were over by the silverback. And I went over to the left side and all of a sudden I started smelling something. I'm like, I smell a carcass. And I'm like, something's up. I could still feel this heaviness from these animals. And I sat down and I put my camera down and I looked over And there was the matriarch sitting there and she was holding a deceased baby in her arms. And she was rubbing its head and she was picking up its fingers and kissing them. And I'm like, that's what I was feeling. They're grieving. Hmm. This troop, they were grieving as a troop. So this is about seven months after my husband died very suddenly and unexpectedly. And he was supposed to be on this trip with me. I hope I don't cry. But I was sitting there And I was mesmerized and sucked in. I don't know how long it was, but it was at least 20, 30 minutes. And when I kind of came back into awareness, I'm just watching her be with her baby. I look around and I've got three gorillas on my right and three female gorillas on my left sitting in a half moon with me in the middle watching her. And I'm like, I had this epiphany. We talk about the missing link between us and apes. And I'm like, no, we're missing the link. There's no missing link. We're missing the link. And she was showing me how you grieve. You turn towards it. You hold it. Mm. And it's like one of the most potent nature stories, you know? Like, I was like, how is this? This few months after the loss of my husband, what I'm sitting in. And they were holding it with me. It was so potent. It was, and it was like then the hook gets set, right? You just want to do it more. (laughs) That's my gorilla story. There's many more.
0: Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I'm so sorry to hear about your husband. Thank you. Yeah. What a beautiful experience to to share that with them and to be part that they circled around you like that, that they really took you in. I mean, you really have a way with nature where it isn't an outsider that they more than tolerate you. It does seem like they take you in and they understand that you are just curious. You know, we are all part of the same world and we sometimes forget that. It looks like they haven't forgotten that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I was, I was going to ask you about fear, but now that I'm hearing your experiences, I can understand why maybe fear is not part of what's going on there. I would like to think that I could be as calm as you I know the reality. I know that I would be absolutely freaking out and I would do everything wrong. I've done that with every animal experience that I've had. Whenever it gets to the point where it's kind of risky, I know what I should do. And I do the opposite because it's just pure fight and flight takes over and I scream and run or freeze or, you know, don't do what I'm supposed to. So kudos to you. Thank you. But I'm
1: not normal. And I'm not normal in this way. I mean, I. One of my most potent experiences was going to Alaska and sitting in a bear meadow. There's no humanity for three hours. You have to be float planed in and you're lucky if they come back and get you because of the weather. So camping, I could see 30, 40 grizzlies with my naked eye the whole entire time. And it was just me and a friend of mine sitting out there with mama bears, with cubs. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. But they have terrible eyesight. And I think because they have such open sight lines and you're not startling them by coming across them in the bush where they're like, well, you know, I got cubs and swipe. You know, they're a little, it's a little more mellow. Is that a good idea? No, that's not a good idea. It's not a safe idea, but you can feel the energy. You can feel these moms are chill. When they're not chill is when a boar or a male bear comes around and comes strolling through. There's a certain time of the year when they'll kill the cubs because they want to be dominant and mate. And that's part of their instinct. And there's a time of the year when they're at the height of having food available to them. Their focus is on eating because they don't eat year round. And so you want to go when their focus is eating and not on you.
0: As long as their focus isn't on
1: eating you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're not bear food. So Hollywood really, I'm going to do my PSA announcement now. Hollywood really likes to sell these ideas that every single bear is going to eat you alive, that every shark is going to tear your leg off. And everything is called a shark attack. Most of the shark bites are sampling. Hmm. They mistake it for something and they immediately spit it out. It depends on the type of shark. So tiger sharks have three rows of teeth and they shake you. So that's the worst shark bite you can get. And, you know, I'll tell a story about, because I think people need to hear this. There was a woman a few years ago in Yosemite that had a bear walk by her with cubs. And she, she was feeding her kids sandwiches And she wanted the bear to come back. So she put peanut butter on a log so she could videotape it and show her kids the bear. Okay, I can kind of understand some of those motivations. But first of all, if you're not an animal person and you don't really know what you're dealing with, that's not the best idea. And so the bear came back, but then the bear ate the peanut butter. So what did the bear do next? It's following her kid. Why is it following her kid? Because her kid smells like peanut butter. And you just taught the bear that you'll feed it peanut butter. And the cops did something brilliant. They didn't dart the bear. They put the woman in jail for child endangerment. And I'm like, okay, now that's smart. Listen, I get that you wanted to educate your kid and you were having this idea and you didn't really understand what you were doing, but don't put peanut butter on a log to feed a bear and your kid smells like peanut butter and get mad at the bear for going after your kid. They have 2,000 times the ability than we do. So we just really don't understand their instincts, and what motivates them. And so people get really confused. We think we're the superior species and we're not at all. We're actually the most fragile species. Let's have some respect and reverence and let them be.
0: So it seems like you could be fearless. I think there are very few people in the world that are truly fearless. So, okay, yes. outside of animals, it seems like you're comfortable with the animals. Outside of animals, day to day, you're taking a risk. You're facing your comfort zone. <laughs> Tell me about fear in... Outside of animal land, how you relate to it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. I'm way more afraid of people
1: because they're (laughs) way more volatile and they're way more triggered and way more, you know, conscious and unconscious. And, you know, I think the things that really get to me are being vulnerable. I have a hard time with breakups, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I don't do that really well. And, and other people just like, Oh, we were great. And they float on and move on. And I'm like, that territory is really risky for me, you know? So I'm a very tender being. And I think even marketing some of my own stuff, like going online and shooting a video about like, Hey, I got this cool thing. And don't you want to come do it? Or whenever I'm like, ah. <laughs> but I'll go walk with a bear right now. <laughs> So yeah, it's like, I'm human too, and I'm imperfect. And I think I get more of afraid by
0: the people stuff and that where the nature world is my jam. Yeah, I totally get that. We all have different comfort zones, right? Something that doesn't scare me at all will terrify somebody else. You know, I've traveled the world solo and people are like, I could never do that. And they probably do something that would terrify me. So yeah, I think it makes sense that we all have our different edges. So when you feel that fear, how do you deal with it yourself? And one of the things that I have to do is I have to realize when it comes up like that, I have to check the
1: circumstances. Does the fear equate to, because I think in today's world, we're feeling so much ecological grief. There's this social justice, you know, these issues are hot, they're big. And I think we're more sensitive and the veil's thinner than it used to be. And we're really trying to work through hard stuff that's way overdue. So there's this, there's this already, Oversensitivity to things. And we're so enculturated with our social media is like a narcissistic culture of impress the other kind of thing that there's not as much space for how we feel. And there's a lot of talk about community. And I've had community experiences where I couldn't be held in the most tender things. And so is that community or is that a circle? You know, like just an interesting question. And so the first thing I do is I check. My fear feels like someone's going to kill me. Is that actually true? And I go, no, nope. no bears around. There's no angry bear around. And, you know, that person's really triggering me at a high level. And so my, I talked to myself about that it would be natural that my nervous system would be triggered at a high level of freeze, flight, fight, whatever all the Fs are. There's another F, fuck it, whatever. <laughs> we'll add that one in yeah, because I can do that one too, but you know, since the my husband died so suddenly and unexpectedly, it changed things for me like my b s buffer is much thinner, and I have to I've had to learn to deal with that. It's made me even more empathic. And so the, I have to check out does the level of fear I feel match the situation? that's where I start. and then I start unpacking from there. What am I really experiencing? And ultimately getting to what am I really needing? You know, and there's no there's no such thing as safe. We make safety for ourselves and it becomes about self-leadership. It becomes about walking yourself out of the trigger. And if you're in a highly dangerous situation, then follow that instinct. 100%.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate everything you're saying. And I know that with, you know, hell yes, life, it sounds like it should be all fun. And, and this is heavy stuff. And why are they just focusing on fear? But I want to focus on fear, because I want people to be aware of the fact that the hell yes, life means there is going to be fear, because you are always stepping forward, pushing those boundaries, going up to the edge of your comfort zone, and then stepping beyond it. And fear is just it's natural. So when we pretend it's not there, we are truly just pretending. So that's why I'm focusing on fear and wanting you to share how you experience how you deal with it, because it could help other people. I mean, I think, to your point, our society isn't necessarily comfortable with emotions. I think we're slowly in pockets getting there. But, you know, we've got a long way to go. And so to really tune in to what am I feeling What's the truth behind this? What do I need? I think that was an important thing that you said. What do I need? What do I want in this moment to feel safe in my system, right? Whether it's real safety, true safety, like nothing's going to happen to me, versus I am safe enough to take this step to face this situation and understanding that there is a need and you can give it to yourself. Yeah, I love what you're
1: saying. And it's like we haven't ever really been nurtured or enculturated to be resourced. And we also haven't been nurtured or enculturated to be a resource for other people and so the asking for help how many of us are stoic in the face of epic emotions you know and it's like w- people can't hold it or they don't want to hold it or they don't want to be around it or they want to judge it I mean some of the things are you know when I had These incredible waves of grief that come over. I miss my husband every day. I miss the life we had. We were living a hell yes, epic life, and he dropped dead in the middle of it. I'm like, wait a minute, I wasn't done. Come get back here. You know? And it's like when they come, they're so overwhelming. I'm afraid they'll never end. And so I have to do some serious work around that, you know, of as much as I might seem bold and brave in one area. I have equally epic tender. In another area that for me, for a long time, it felt like being on the planet was walking on shards of glass. What was coming next? Who was going to say something crappy next? Who was going to give me some trite thing about you need to get over it? Or he would want you to, like, please don't ever say that to someone who's grieving, that you know better what their loved one would want for them. We're going to all throw up in our mouth. That's one of the fastest ways to get punched in the face. You have no idea how that lands with someone who's grieving acting like you know better than them or their loved one, like you know their loved one better than they do, please don't, is another public service announcement, please don't ever say anything like that. It's your discomfort talking. You're not being helpful to the person who's really hurting. And, you know, that's when I think I get afraid around feeling alone in the world in the big emotions that I experience. Like that makes me more afraid. I'd rather go sit with 30 grizzlies. I know what's coming. I know what's potential. I know what their behavior change looks like. No. And I think the animals are fully realized soul. A leopard doesn't walk around her habitat wondering if her thighs are too big and she'll never (laughs) mate again. But with humans, it's so unpredictable and unknowable. People have it that the animals are unpredictable. And I'm like, man, it's the humans that are unpredictable. That's my filter anyway.
0: Yeah, or maybe unpredictable in different ways. But yeah, I I totally understand what you're saying. And there's one thing that you said that I want to dive into a little bit. You said, well, it looks like I'm living a hell yes life over here. And then I have this tender part over here. To me, I see that as a hell yes as well, because if you ignore that part, that's when you're not a hell yes. In my perspective, we all have a different view of what a hell yes life is. But if you're having this feeling and you're letting yourself actually feel it, not get stuck there forever, you know, get into your head and a story about it, but actually just feel the emotion, feel the physical sensation, give yourself what you need in that moment. To me, that is a big old hell yes out loud exclamation point. So I'm going to re-listen to you saying that
1: about 20 times so it gets in there. But it's like it's all one of the biggest lessons of him dying like he did. He was buff. He was in shape. He was healthy. He was all in it he was like not the guy that was supposed to die, but he did, is this thing of like my ability to feel the tendernesses as I do emotionally and as a human are the same thing that let me bond with a cheetah. It's the same empathetic, energetic signature ability to experience that kind of energetic awareness. It's what has me commune with animals. And it's why people respond to my photography because what they don't know is that the lens looks both ways. So you see in the photo, the magnificence I'm experiencing when a tigress walks out of the bush straight to me. In that moment of awe, my energetic inner awe is getting imprinted on that photo. The camera's a tool. It's not between me and the encounter. I have to come back and remember that the times that I get lost in all the emotionality of the world we're living in, the chaos of this evolutionary phase that we're in, and all the grief and the tumultuousness of all of it. It's, as you say, it's really a very worthy part of a hell yes life.
0: Yeah, I think it adds richness. I mean, it's taken me a while to get there. I know when I started my healing journey from anything in the past, I was terrified. I mean, it truly there was this association of I am going to go into a dark black well and I'm never going to get out and I am almost going to evaporate was obviously not a conscious logical thing, but I resisted therapy or plant medicine, anything That was going to dive me in there. It was like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And finally, it was like, I got to go and I'm still here. And I feel lighter and more expansive because I went in there. I saw that. Yep, there's some darkness. We all have it. We all have experienced trauma, whether it's a capital T or a little T. And to really get to a hell yes life. And again, this is my perspective. You got to go in. Maybe you don't have to examine every last bit. There are pieces that can just be left alone but you have to do some of that initial healing to be comfortable with yourself, to recognize what's going on, to really tune in and be tender with yourself and compassionate and forgiving and all of those soft things that we may be needed from somebody else at some point and we can actually give to ourselves as well.
1: It's so true. And I think about this because I think in terms of habitats that we are a species living in a habitat called Earth and we forget that if we're all oneness, right, then we just like to, you know, slice and dice what that means instead of like actually really owning that when we're avoiding things, we are in a non-sustainable environment and we're imposing that into the field. We're adding to the sum total of negativity on the planet and That by feeling and moving into these deeper wells and emotions that feel like an annihilation of the soul, we become generative. And the planet, with all the ecological things that are happening right now, need us to be a generative, restorative species. And we can't be that when we're denying, ignoring, and running after the lion's share of the money or the net worth or the corporate title, you know, or the whatever. We have forgotten that nature is generative. It's a system of systems. And we do all these things outside the system. And part of how we experience life is ups and downs and death and rebirth.
0: And that that's all part of it. And it gives everything context. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Thank you for sharing. I want to change focus a little bit, but connected. I know that you coach women, to build thriving, amazing businesses. Yeah. And I know that you can't, well, I shouldn't say it. you can't. I don't believe that you can be truly successful without having some of these skills that we're talking about, without really being in tune with what's going on with yourself. Yeah, you can push through, you can act in kind of old-fashioned ways, right? The the way that things were when we started working back in the, you know, the 90s with the big suits and the shoulder pads, and we're going to push ourselves <laughs> through. <laughs> yeah, you probably had the same outfit on and the glitter socks. Oh my gosh. Oh, I didn't have anything don't that too. you old to me. <laughs> that sounds outside of your
1: generation, but yeah. yeah. No, nope, I was there.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, it's a new way of of showing up, especially in our own business where we don't have to show up in any way. We can design it how we want. But can you just share what you're coaching these women on how it shows up in building a successful business differently than the way we started out in corporate world? with some of the tools that we've been talking about.
1: Yeah, I think that, I think one of the things is that I take a lot of cues from big cat medicine and that they have this incredible ability to be resourced under extraordinarily extreme conditions. And if we think about women and the feminine, we've been put into extraordinary and extreme conditions of, being under undersupported. We haven't supported each other. We've been taught to be competitive with each other. And, and so I believe that there's a new wave of women, that we are the economic superpower. We're a future superpower and an economic force. We have to really let go of traditionally masculine system conditioning, which I watch big cat females be completely unimpacted by. And we need to disrupt the way women get to be in the world. And we need what the wisdom keepers have to be in the world in order to evolve into a new well-being economy, to be new people on a new earth, to give the earth a chance and to step out of consumption. And I think the big evolution that's happening is we're moving from a me to a we society. And I think women in business are the best curators of that happening. And I think women are the biggest group of consciousness rising on the planet and I wanna invest in that.
0: Absolutely, I'm gonna give a hell yes to that. Yeah, like a hell yes, you
1: know? And it's like my whole ride through corporate America was me breaking up with conditioned norms. And I didn't know at that time because I was focused. I knew as a kid I needed to go to Africa before I die and I need to make my own money, everybody get out of the way. And I had three older brothers and so that was boot camp. So corporate America was like, no big deal after 3 older brothers, you know? And it was like, there was this thing that just started to happen. And I realized in hindsight that I was operating like a leopardess does. I was watching the habitat. I was reading the room. And there's women, we have these incredible skills of knowing, of receptivity, but we need to balance it with the masculine of getting things done and not sitting on our gifts. And too many women are sitting on their gifts. I beat them all at the game because I was listening to my inner instincts about how I could make this situation work for me. There's this acculturation of the push energy, which is the take energy, which is the competitive energy, which women's natural body systems don't sustain for very long. Some can do it longer than others. And one of the things I'm seeing emerging in the women that I'm working with is that there's a need for a new feminine model and that everybody's really needing something different to support them physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. But women rising, we need new models. And so anyone coming into this needs to know that we're blazing trails and we're breaking new ground. We're co-creating it together. And there's not this one pat answer to it.
0: And I think the other point that you touched on that's fantastic, everything you've said is fantastic, but something that I want to reinforce is the sense of we're not alone. Now I am part of an artist community online. We haven't met, we're all around the world. But we respond to each other. We support each other. I've created a mastermind group that we meet every week to talk about what went well, what's planning, what maybe didn't go as planned, what support do we need, all of that. So there's different structures. And I think there's just a lot more available and a lot more interest in the do it together. We're obviously not in each other's businesses, but it's lifting each other up. Even in my one small mastermind There's another woman doing a podcast with a very similar theme, and we could look at each other as competitors. And instead, I'm like, hey, I just learned this. And she turns around, oh, look at this. And we share ideas because somebody's going to resonate with me. Somebody's going to resonate with her. We're fighting over listeners. So I'm really excited about this new environment that makes it feel much more possible. Much more possible. And I think what you're speaking to with your mastermind and the collaboration
1: instead of competition women are really shifting how they relate to each other and my secret underneath it all is that I really care that we evolve to a well-being economy where everybody gets to thrive and that includes the planet and the wild ones and I really care about that part of it and the way that things have been modeled are not generative. I call it egonomics instead of economics because economics means no harm to the environment. That's clearly not what we are doing. And egonomics is based on the lion's share. And if you ever watch a pride of lions, you know, eventually they eat each other because they've eaten everything else. And they're super highly competitive. And that isn't going to work. It's not sustainable. And those models also aren't generative for women. They're very consumptive for women. Our nervous systems don't play like that. And trying to twist ourselves into a pretzel to match someone else's template is already proven not to fly. And I really want to curate and co-create with women these unique business environments and habitats where they can thrive inside of it and it doesn't look like anybody else's.
0: That's exactly what a hell yes life is to me. It's everybody's unique flavor. There's no one hell yes life what do I want to do now? What feels right now? Really tuning into what is my unique hell yes life and how do I make my hell yes life happen? I realize people are in different situations, married, kids, things like that, where you can't just always go off and do your own thing. There are other people to consider. At the same point, it is also important to say, I have needs and this is how I need to proceed. Now let's understand everyone else's needs and we figure that out. And I have other Women who I have spoken with and who are coming on, who talk specifically about the family system and how you make that work, because as a single person, it is obviously easier for me to just go do what I want to do. Yeah,
1: I love that you're holding this for all of us and reminding all of us about the that you have such a joy and effervescence in you about you know how it's like the helliest life is all of it. Michelle Obama said something really cool about you can have it all, just not simultaneously. And so like, what a great distinction, right? And so you're holding this distinction of this hell yes life we can have. And it includes some of the really hard, real stuff.
0: Yeah, there's discomfort with creating your own path because you're constantly bumping up against your comfort zone. You're doing new things. I mean, right now I'm learning how to do Instagram and social and email marketing, it's a lot to learn. It's not necessarily comfortable. Yet my vision is big enough that I'm going to put up with the discomfort of learning this technology to get the vision out there. So it's just a matter of which flavor you want. I think
1: those of us who are advantaged women, if you go to Africa and you watch the women there and what the Maasai women do to sell honey and they're standing out on the road or make their weapons and drums and stuff like that is like, I've seen them circle around my buddy who is a very large African guy and he's got 20 Maasai women around him and they're all trying to sell him something. And you know, women, privileged women are indulging their fears. These women don't have that opportunity. And there's something about that we can take a lesson from is their vision and their commitment to support their community. is bigger than the discomfort of walking down on the road and approaching someone and asking them for money. You know, and I get that their circumstances
0: are different, but they still don't have to do it. They can run in the bush and hide, but they don't do that. What's the why behind what you're doing in everything? Why am I spending an hour trying to figure out how to do this reel in Instagram? Because I want this message out there. I want to connect, I want to open up an experience for people. And so this is the step that I need to take on this path, right? Even I'm thinking about it now. When you go on a hike, yes. Part of it is the journey and the views, and part of it is getting to the top. Along the way, there are parts that I am huffing and puffing, and I'm sweating, and I am not comfortable. But once I get to that view, and that feeling of satisfaction that I made it to the top, and I push through, is fantastic, right? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of boring,
1: right, to indulge the self that's like, you know, let me do a real, I don't want to do, a, you know, and it's like there's so much something We all want to be catalyzed, and how we get catalyzed is by doing the thing that feels like the thing we don't want to do. The vision, my vision of being a five year old and I need to go to Africa, which means I need to make my own money, carried me to this moment. It created everything on the journey my family, my corporate world, my corporate life, my husband, all of it, all of it, all the wildlife encounters, all the the thousand stories that I could tell you, like the gorilla story. All of it was because of one intention. Wow,
0: that's amazing. Especially that you had it so young. That is not how my purpose showed up or how many people, you know, we've had to truck along for quite a while until we could piece things together. So that's amazing that you had it and that you honored it. So women are often told to be humble, to not really talk about our accomplishments and who we are and how we're showing up. And mm -mm, not here. Here we are getting our brag on. I want to give you a floor to say, what would you like to get your brag on about? What, would, what can we celebrate you for? You know, oh God, there's so much I could say.
1: But I think the big thing is like, do you get that in the heart of the patriarchy when we were still worshiping it in the 80s, 90s and 2000s, it was in the sales organization working for big companies that you would know. I figured out as a woman how to navigate the system. They changed my circumstances by how I paid attention and listening to my own wild instinct, and it was being divinely guided. And something was happening. I knew how to turn apology meetings into exclusive million-dollar Apple orders, which were not happening, and earn my way out at 47, financially free, never having to work again. To me, that is like an epic thing to be able to say. I can stand next to a grizzly and walk with a lioness and all of that, but this is like there's I'm just a mirror of what everyone else has within them the capability to do.
0: And on that, we're going to go because, yeah, you're right. And hopefully people listening didn't just have to lower the volume with my cheer for you. No, but, but yeah, to make that system work for you is absolutely brag worthy because it's a rough system to be in. You know, there weren't women at the top to to observe and model after. And you really have to make your own way. So kudos to you. I mean, that you not only figured out how to make it work, but you made it to the point of retiring that young to get out and do what you want to do. That is just amazing. Well, thank you. I love
1: the little amazing fest, but it's like the thing you're talking about is like the vision. You have to follow the leadership of your vision. And one more little thing about that was the guys were all duking it out with you. They weren't looking at new business. They were all trying to compete with the obvious business. I became the queen of new business because they weren't looking over there. I wasn't, I'm just not compete. I'm not going to compete with you. I'm going to beat you. Mm. The guys were all fighting each other over the, the, what they thought were the plums. And I'm like, wow, look at all that you're not looking at. Let me go
0: over there. It's like, this is how we can outsmart these systems. They can have the plums. You got the cherries. That's right. So we've talked about a lot of things that you have experienced, a lot of perspectives I'm wondering if you could sum it up. Clearly, you have created your own hell yes life. You have made a very unique path for yourself. What have you learned on that path?
1: To revere my own knowing over anything else, anyone else or any other influence. And that we call people on social media influencers makes me want to gag. You have no influence over me. You might have impact. You might have some value to offer. But the ego assumption of influencing bothers me. And I just... I come back to check it out for myself. What does my own knowing say? Come back to that inner instinct that
0: has never, ever, ever, ever failed me. That's a fantastic message. I think a lot of women are not necessarily in touch with their intuition. It's there, but they've lost connection to it. So (laughs) when you say your own knowing and your own intuition, and I know a lot of this comes up from being out in nature, you have to trust yourself and have to get in tune with it. But do you have any tips, guidance, advice for people who have kind of lost touch with their intuition to to reconnect with it? Yeah, I think
1: one of the biggest things is to learn how it operates in your system. And so if you think back to a time when you had a super intuitive moment, what was the feeling tone in your body and where did it come from? So for me, the knowing bubbles up from my gut. Go out in nature. Don't go with anybody and leave your phone in the car. And actually see if you can just take this, listen to the layers of a habitat from the roots of the grass to the dirt, to the blade, to the bird, to the log, to the raptors. Can you just listen to the layers of a habitat and see in the wind come back into this full sensory being and just notice how you know. Once you start to notice how you know, You just keep growing and amplifying that feel. You have to become really attuned to your system and how you know what you know and stop questioning it because it will be a disruptor. It won't look like the norm and it will have a whole lot of audacity that you might feel a little scared to lean into.
0: Thank you for that. What a beautiful exercise. I have a spectacular park near my house and I think I need to go do that this afternoon. Thank you so much for sharing. I think that is a perfect place for us to end. Thank you yeah. so much. This has thank been you. such an honor to talk to you and to get to know you and your story, your, your challenges and your wisdom. And I just appreciate you sharing it so openly with me and with our listeners. So thank you, Julie, for being with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I absolutely am a fan
1: of you and what you're doing. And I love this. Give her a good review too. Give her five stars. This is amazing. And I can't wait to share it with everybody. You are phenomenal at holding space for a great conversation. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate you being here. That's it for this episode of Your Hell Yes Life. I hope it inspired you to keep trailblazing your unique path. I have some fantastic episodes coming up. So don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. If you want to help spread the hell yes magic, please leave a rating and review there as well and share the podcast with your family and friends. Let's make this a movement. And remember, always be brave and true to your hell yes.